0: We are born with a finite amount of myocytes, a fi- my, finite number of myocytes inside of our bodies. Myocytes is the medical term for what you and I would call muscle tissue. You cannot increase, you ready for this? You cannot increase the number of muscle fibers in your body regardless of what you do. As my dad uh, has explained it to me, we are, we are by birth in our genetics probably passed on from moms and dads who got it from their moms and dads and we, you know, we, we, have, we, have, been, we have been born with a, a finite number of muscle tissue. You know, these, these myocytes that are within the body. And yet, we can change the myocytes through labor and exercise and toil and struggle and so um I did not think through that that by the third service this would be an, a weight more than I am uh, really all that good with but but so so what what happens oh my gosh okay Stuart why don't you get up here and do this man <laughs> Uh, all right. So, so what happens? What happens when 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 we labor and toil with a thing? Okay, and you got to do it with both arms, otherwise, you know. Oh my God! Okay, what happens when we labor and toil with a thing? Is that there is a tearing, a tearing of these of these muscle tissues, right? And and, and, and and we all know this, you all know this because this is what we call soreness. Are you with me? can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, like like my like my tomorrow, okay um, there, there, yeah there, there's there's this there's this soreness, okay that's okay. <clears throat> the the tearing the t- the tearing of, the, of 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 literally the rods. The actin and myactin that are inside of the of of, of the of the muscle cells is only repaired when the body is able to to, to absorb amino acids from the proteins in our diet that are then flowing through the bloodstream so that the muscles can pick them out and use those amino acids to repair, repair these rods inside the muscles, which then causes growth. But it only happens, you ready for this? This is science. This is, it only happens when you rest. You cannot grow unless you rest. Fact. This message brought to you by the <coughs> world of science This message comes on the eve of Labor Day when our nation says that we rest in part to honor the workers and the laborers who have worked so hard to bring our country prosperity and growth, but the growth only happens after the labor and in the midst of the rest. This also comes with a deep awareness that built into creation is this rhythm of work and rest. In fact, in fact, the, the, the actual equation is six and one, six and one. Six days the Lord created. He brought order out of chaos, and on the seventh day he. Rested. In fact, in fact, in fact, uh, Judaism has a word for that day. What is it? Sabbath. That's right. That's right. The Shabbat. This this day of pause after the work, because to do the labor without the work doesn't produce the results. And all of this. All of this is at the forefront of the story that we have been reading through, the story of the Exodus, where God and God's people are searching for something more than they can get in Egypt, because Egypt is led by this human who's so self-delusional that he believes he is God. And despite God's efforts... T- times nine in terms of the plagues that you, you, we, that you, that you and I heard last week. As, uh, as, as, as I sat here with Doug Moody and we read Exodus chapter seven and eight and nine and ten and what we heard was the one true God literally brought chaos out of the order of creation because there's, there's, so there's so much you can say about what God is doing in the book of Exodus. Exodus is this giant commentary on creation itself. And and where whereas God in the beginning took water and made it life-giving in the plagues He took water and made it deadly, whereas whereas God in creation took took insects and made them a part of the way that the world uh, multiplies through through things like uh, uh, pollination. In the Exodus, the plagues of the insects were oppressive. God is literally turning the world upside down by his power in order to convince Pharaoh that Pharaoh should observe the way that God is in control and the way that God has made the world. When you read the story of the Exodus, which I, which I encourage you to do if you haven't already, if you, when you read the story of the Exodus, what you will find on repeat is the greatest charge against, in the, in the courtroom of God, the greatest single charge against Pharaoh by God is this, you treat my people like a possession and will not let them rest in order that they might go and worship me. You, you, you find it. It's, it's repeated over and over again. You treat them like a possession and all you expect from them is labor, but you do not allow the rest to follow it. And, and God, is, God is saying, in essence, that, that the labor without the rest is not how we've been made. So for, so for hemp's, Pharaoh has with his obstinance denied that God is in control. And we find ourselves today in what are two of the most difficult chapters in all the scriptures. I have struggled on on, on how to preach good news in the midst of this tenth plague that is, that is, that is, that is, Devastating. And yet, and yet, I invite you to join with me as we turn to the Word of God to hear the good news that is found in the midst of this story that is so tough. If you would, turn in the Bibles that we offer, uh, we offer them, uh, we, we give them away, we believe in them. Turn, turn on your devices, grab the Bibles that you have brought with you, and turn a few pages over from the beginning to Exodus chapter 11. We are going to read the story, because this story is, is worth hearing. We're going to read the story, all of chapter 11 and a lot of chapter 12. You're going to have to hear it through my voice, but I invite you to join with me as we, uh, as we hear the word of God this morning. It says, the Lord said to Moses, I'll bring one more disaster on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he'll let you go from here. In fact, when he lets you go, he'll eagerly chase you out of here. Tell every man to ask his neighbor and every woman to ask her neighbor for all their silver and gold jewelry. The Lord made sure that the Egyptians were kind to the Hebrew people. In addition, Pharaoh's officials and the Egyptian people even came to honor Moses as a great and important man in the land. Moses said, this is what the Lord says. At midnight, I'll go throughout Egypt. Every oldest child in the land of Egypt will die. From the oldest child of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest child of the servant woman by the millstones and all the first offspring of the animals. Then a terrible cry of agony will echo through the whole land of Egypt, unlike any herd before or, ever, or that ever will be again. But as for the Israelites, not even a dog will growl at them, at the people or at their animals. By this you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Then all your officials will come to me, bow down to me and say, Get out, you and all your followers. After that I'll leave. Then Moses, furious, left Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh won't listen to you, so that you can perform even more amazing acts in the land of Egypt. Now Moses and Aaron did all these amazing acts in front of Pharaoh, but the Lord made Pharaoh stubborn, so that he didn't let the Israelites go from his land. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, In the land of Egypt, this month will be the first month. It will be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole Israelite community on the 10th day of this month, they must take a lamb for each household, a lamb per house. If a household is too small for a lamb, it should share, with, share one with a neighbor nearby. You should divide the lamb in proportion to the number of people who will be eating it. Your lamb should be a flawless year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You should keep close watch over it until the 14th day of this month. At twilight on the day, the whole assembled Israelite community should slaughter their lambs. They should take some of the blood and smear it on the two doorposts and on the beam over the door of the house, houses in which they are eating. That same night, they should eat the meat roasted over the fire. They should eat it along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Don't, don't eat Don't eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over fire with its head, legs, and internal organs. Don't let any of it remain until morning, and burn any of it left over in the morning. This is how you should eat it. You should be dressed with your sandals on your feet and your walking stick in your hand. You should eat the meal in a hurry. It is the Passover of the Lord. I'll pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I'll strike down every oldest child in the land of Egypt, both humans and animals. I'll impose judgments on all the gods, that's little g, of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be your sign on the houses where you live. Wherever I see the blood, I'll pass over you. No plague will destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day will be a day of remembering for you. You will observe it as a festival to the Lord. You will observe it in every generation as a regulation for all time. You will eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day, you must remove yeast from your houses because anyone who eats leavened bread any time during those seven days will be cut off from Israel. The first day and the seventh day will be a holy occasion for you. No work at all should be done on these, those days except for preparing the food that everyone is going to eat. That is the only work you may do. You should observe the festival of unleavened bread because on this precise day I brought you out of the land of Egypt in military formation. You should observe this day in every generation as a regulation for all time. In the first month, from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day, you should eat unleavened bread. For seven days no yeast should be found in your houses because whoever eats leavened bread will be cut off from the Israelite community. Whether the person is an immigrant or a, or a native of the land, you should not eat anything made with yeast in all your settlements. You should only eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called together all of Israel's elders and said to them, Go pick out one of the flock of your Israel." "'for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. "'Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood "'that is in the bowl and touch the beam above the door "'and the two doorposts with the blood on the bowl, in the bowl. "'None of you should go out the door of your house "'until morning. "'When the Lord comes by to strike down the Egyptians "'and sees blood on the beam above the door "'and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over that door. "'He won't let the destroyer enter your house, houses "'to strike you down.'" You should observe this ritual as a regulation for all time for you and your children. When you enter the land that the Lord has promised to give you, be sure that you observe this ritual. And when your children ask, What does this ritual mean to you? You will say, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. When he struck down the Egyptians, he spared our houses. The people then bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites went and did exactly what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron to do. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the first offspring in the land of Egypt, from the oldest child of Pharaoh sitting on his throne to the oldest child of of the prisoner in jail and all the first offspring of the animals. When Pharaoh, all his officials, and all the Egyptians got up that night, a terrible cry of agony rang out across Egypt because every house had someone in it who had died. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron that night and said, Get up. Get away from my people, both you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you said. You can even take your flocks and herds as you asked. Just go and bring a blessing on me as well. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the land because they thought we'll all be dead. So the people picked up the, their bread dough before the yeast had, excuse me, before the yeast made it rise. With their bread pans wrapped in their robes on their shoulders, the Israelites did as Moses had told them and asked the Egyptians for their silver and gold jewelry as well as their clothing. The Lord made sure that the Egyptians were kind to the people so that they let them have whatever they asked for, and so they robbed the Egyptians. The Israelites traveled from Ramesses to Succoth. They outnumbered about they numbered about six hundred thousand men on foot, besides children. A diverse crowd also went up with them with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. They baked unleavened cakes from the dough they had brought out of Egypt. The dough didn't rise because they were driven out of Egypt and they couldn't wait. In fact, they didn't have time to prepare any food for themselves. The length of time that the Israelites had lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that precise day, all the Lord's people in military formation left the land of Egypt. For the Lord, that was a night of intent watching to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For all Israelites in every generation, this same night is a time of intent watching to honor the Lord. This is the word of God for we the people of God and we say together, thanks be to God. I went searching to be reminded of why this was okay. I found it in the scripture, as should be expected. You see, for what we read at first glance is that it seems Pharaoh's choices meant. Consequences for everyone. That, that 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 this problem that Pharaoh had 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 put upon the people now was gonna be was gonna be uh, was gonna be taken out of sacrifices from all of the families of the Egyptians, and 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 that and that somehow this this seems unfair because they were innocent and and God somehow was wrong. And yet, in fact, when we read the scripture, what we learn is that, is that while Pharaoh was in charge, Pharaoh was in charge, and Pharaoh made the rules, it was actually the Egyptians that were carrying them out. We remember that, that Exodus starts with this, with this word that, that a Pharaoh came to power who did not remember Joseph. And that he believed that the Hebrew people had grown so large in number that the way to control their size was to eliminate, to kill every firstborn child among the Hebrews. That was Pharaoh's idea. But it was the Egyptians that carried it out. The scripture goes on to tell us that, that the Egyptians seemed to revel in this, in this attitude that that they were above God's people and that therefore they could do whatever they wanted to God's people. And so when the plagues come and they are impacting the Egyptians, let us be clear, this is God dealing with an entire nation that disobeyed. This is God dealing with an entire nation that had had thumbed their noses at the the ordinances of God and had 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 not obeyed God. And yet it's still tough to hear. They're they're in the middle of chapter 12, have you got that verse? It says, oh no, no, here you go. In the middle of chapter 12, on verse 30, every house had someone in it who had died. every house was grieving melva and, and sully have have blessed our church by by introducing us to this ministry of grief share and it's it's brought people into our lives and it's been so it's been so important and so so helpful and and yesterday they uh, they, they they brought a new family into our uh, our church's uh, experience. It was uh, Fran Bueller and his wife Nancy, and then their sons that uh, that came in from all corners of the Southeast to to be here yesterday for this for this event. For, th- there were uh, there were over. I'm a Methodist preacher, Melva. I counted. There were over eighty people that gathered in this room. It was great. It was great. And Fran stood here and out of this ministry that he has offered to the uh, to the to the people in Tallahassee, and now through this book that he's written, he spoke so eloquently and so authentically about grieving. And, I, and I've heard you this morning talk about, about being here and how, and how years afterwards you're still touched by someone who can talk about this emotion that is still so real to you. Because here's the truth. It's not just the Egyptians that have found grieving in every household, is it? It's all of us. To live is to know grief. At one point, uh, Fran Buehler, standing at the podium, about halfway through, he does the most courageous thing. I mean, I'm still choked up. He's, he, he does the most courageous thing. He says to all of us, he says, and now I'm gonna give my wife the microphone. Oh my gosh! Do you know what that would be like for a preacher to do? That's a joke. <clears throat> I said that joke in front of Julie at nine and nobody laughed either. <clears throat> he did, he handed, he handed the microphone to his wife Nancy and she gets up and she's talking and in the middle of it she says this line and I, uh, I, I wrote it down. She said, Grief never goes away, but there will come a day when we remember it differently. What she she says is that in the midst of the work and labor of grief, we cannot see things differently. But with distance and a period of rest, we will remember it differently. In the midst of the work and the labor, the growth cannot happen. Because that's not the way the world is made. It's not. Walter Brueggemann, writing in a commentary on the entire book of Exodus, Brueggemann says, When we read the Bible story and hear it interpreted, we do not return to a world dramatically changed. Instead, it is our imaginations that are transformed in slow, small, steady ways. The, the way I would say the same thing is to say that the world remains fallen but we are also better able to see it being restored bit by bit. Here's what we know. Here's what we know as the people of God that when we read the Bible, when we, when we engage with the one true God through the word that He's given us and we then walk out into the world, it's exactly the same as it was before. Reading the Bible doesn't put the world back together like like magic. No. The transformation, the change happens not in the world, but what? In us. We see the world differently by slow, small, steady ways. See, because because when we labor and then we rest, that's when the growth happens. When we we take a text that is so tough and we wrestle with it and then we meditate, that's when the growth happens. Pharaoh said, I will use you up for you belong to me. And God said, No. You must let my people go so that they might labor and rest. So they might work and then pause to worship. This, this is the good news. Is that we have a God who fights on our behalf. That our lives might be restored to the way we've been made. Enjoy your day tomorrow, for it is a holy thing to rest. For in the rest from our labors, we find the growth. Let's pray. Lord, this is our prayer, and we bring it before you that that the fibers of our faith would grow from this rhythm of reading and then meditating, from this pattern of, of prayer and then pausing from this established truth that we have been made to both work and rest. Allow our trust in You to grow, O God, that we might see You at work in the world in slow and small and steady ways. And we offer it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.